one form or another, we're going to see a lot more, uh, you know, transactions, and we are already seeing it in our firm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Landscape, George Smith Partners podcast. I'm joined here by my lovely co-host, Mr. David Pascal. Hello. And our third co-host today, uh, Mr. Ed Stefflin, joining us from New York. Today, we have a very special guest. It's Mr. Jonathan Roth of 3650 REIT. We'll let Jonathan uh, introduce himself here in a moment. Before we do that, we'd just like to tell you really quickly where to find us online or to, you know, how to learn more about us on the podcast. If you're finding this the first time, go to www.gspartners.com and you can sign up for FinFacts, our newsletter there. And then with that newsletter, you'll receive the podcast. You can also find this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most of these podcast uh, sites. So without further ado, ado, let's let Jonathan here introduce yourself. Yeah, let's rock and roll. Hello, everybody. And thank you, gentlemen. Um, I, I've known David for uh, decades. I've never heard him described as lovely. Um, I, <laughs> nice. So the lovely David Pascal. Um, thank you, guys. And um, I'm, I really appreciate being here. Um, my name is Jonathan Roth. I am a co-founder with my two partners, Justin Kennedy and Toby Cobb. Our firm is called 3650 REIT. We're a uh, national uh, footprint, uh, fully integrated real estate investment firm. Um, while we do uh, do some equity investment out of our uh, development side, we are really a lender. And when we created our company and launched in 2018, we wanted to have products that really fit every um, moment in time of a particular real estate project. So we have various uh, strategies, lending strategies. On one end of the spectrum, we call it the bridge and event driven. The acronym we use is BED. And that is designed to lend against assets that are in some stage of transition. And it can be ground up construction to acquisition and repositioning financing, partnership recapitalizations, all the way into the realm of distress. Um, you know, if, if an asset ends up in bankruptcy, we can do debtor in possession. When we do construction lending, um, we uh, generally do the whole, you know, zero to 70, 75, 80% in the cap stack. We do not use leverage. And that's a distinguishing factor that you'll hear us talk about um, that, you know, when, when a debt fund uses leverage, that means there's somebody else in the room that's making decisions about the underlying asset. And particularly when it relates to construction lending, you really don't want to have uh, too many opportunities for other people to raise their voices. So we've always found that um, having a pure play, uh, you know, stretch senior is a very um, compelling opportunity, not only for us, but also for our borrowers. Um, in the bridge and event driven strategy, we also do mezzanine and preferred equity. Uh, we do a fair amount in the multifamily space behind agency financing. Um, our other sort of book in strategy is what we call SCF for stable cash flow lending. Um, that is where we um, provide five and 10 year fixed rate loans um, in 2023, which was a, you know, a year that had, you know, very low volumes. Um, I think we ended up doing three securitizations for a total of about two, $2.3 billion. Um, and uh, the, the vast majority of those were five-year executions versus sort of the normal way 10-year. Uh, uh, um, I think that's going to switch, and we'll probably talk about that a little later. 
Um, we have a transitional lending strategy, which is, you know, sort of the 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 poster child for that is a multifamily asset coming off a construction loan that needs that's you know maybe 30 40 50% leased up it's not ready to sell it's not ready to permanently finance so we have a a strategy for that we also have a special situations um fund that is designed to uh capture opportunities to buy existing indebtedness you know that has kind of a heavy lift to it. Uh, we, you know, we can end up owning the underlying asset or we can just do a lot of, uh, you know, modifications and restructurings and work with, work with the borrowers. Our goal when we created the firm was really to have a source of capital for best-in-class borrowers that have best-in-class assets and, you know, candidly have a source of capital so they wouldn't leave our ecosystem. Um, we also um, believe very strongly that, we should originate our own loans, do our own due diligence structure, and hold the loan on our balance sheet for the life, and most importantly, service the loan. And in fact, that's why our firm is called 3650. So for three thousand up to 3,650 days, where, you're, where we service your loan, where your relationship. And um, I would say today, our servicing portfolio is just about 17 billion. And these are all loans that are on our balance sheet. And I'm delighted to say, and I say this reluctantly and a little bit hesitantly, because it could change, you know, as soon as we hang up here, um, but we have lo zero loans in default or loans that are delinquent. And uh, we attribute that track record to the fact that we we really place a premium and a high importance on having a, a direct relationship with our borrowers and being able to to uh, attend to issues and situations in a very timely manner and you know, my you know my cell phone's on my business card um yep. it's as it is everybody else's cell phone on their business cards within 3650 we really genuinely believe that if you if you if you handle a problem early in its gestation period, there are a lot more solutions to that problem than if you wait and let it fester. So we believe hands-on loan servicing, direct relationship produces better outcomes. And so um, I would say that's that's kind of thirty six fifty in a nutshell. Um, we have seven offices across the country, uh, you know, nearly seventy plus employees and. Uh, we are looking forward to, you know, 2023 was a, a year of, um, you know, it was interesting, you know, uh, originations and transactions fell off a cliff, as you well know. Um, we think 2024 is going to be a transitional year, and we're we're delighted uh, that we have the the capital and the bandwidth to be able to look forward. We're not burdened by legacy issues, so uh, kind of excited about the opportunities ahead. So David and, and Ed here. Yeah. Should we start first with peppering Jonathan a few prognostications? Yeah, let's do that. You kind of segued there. Um, any 2024 macroeconomic predictions, such as how many Fed rate cuts are people interested in that? Um, and any predictions on the directions of Treasury and yield curve in, inversion? And will we have a recession? <laughs> all the easy yeah. ones right yeah, yeah. oh just those okay um, uh, you know look I've, i'm not in the business of, of of making predictions um but i will tell you you know um we've had a 150 basis point you know or 130 basis point rally um mm -hmm. in this rate um we've had spreads tightening um and i think that's going to continue 
Um, I don't know, you know, the date upon which the Fed will, you know, will, will start, right. you know, to, to lower rates, but it's definitely going in that direction. The market has already baked that in. Um, has the market been overly aggressive? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, but I, do, I, you know, it's, uh, I, I have the, the, either the good fortune or the curse of spending a lot of time on airplanes. And uh, I, I spend a lot of time in, you know, most major cities in our country. Um, and I will tell you, I don't see things slowing down. Um, there's a lot of economic activity in certain areas in other areas. And, you know, cities like San Francisco, it's, it's pretty quiet. Um, and there are issues there we'll probably talk about, but, you know, I don't see the economy coming to a screeching halt. Will we go into a technical recession? Yeah, probably. Uh, at some point, you know, third quarter, I think, you know, information, there's a, there's a lag to information, but I don't see us falling off a cliff. Having Got said it. that, it would be irresponsible not to caveat everything with the We've got some pretty big macro geopolitical issues um, with what's going on in the middle in Israel, in the Middle East. Um, every day, there's there's new headlines, and it, it the, that conflict is is spreading. It's not it's not contracting, and yep. I don't want to underestimate the impact of that globally. Uh, so, but I think in general, if you know, barring any material exogenous event we will slow down in our country we won't fall off a cliff and i think transaction volume uh will increase uh because you know as investors you know there was a lot of capital raised uh and there was very little employed last year and right. you know investors want to put capital to work and i think you know, last year, what we saw is if you didn't have to transact, and I'm sure you all saw this as well as we did. Yes, we did. Yeah. If, if you didn't have to transact, you weren't going to. Now, right. you know, we have two trillion of maturities that are, you know, this year, the next year, the year after that. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to transact. And uh, there's going to be, you know, capitulation uh, yep. with buyers and sellers. There's going to yeah. be, you know, restructurings done. And those restructurings, will facilitate, you know, a variety of different outcomes. Some will be, right. there's a prep equity provider that will, re, you know, that will provide capital so yep. that the normal way, senior financing, there will be a sale of an asset just to get it off somebody's balance sheet. Um, and so I do believe that in one form or another, we're going to see a lot more, uh, you know, transactions. And we are already seeing it in our firm uh, in terms of the inbound inquiries for interesting across the board, candidly. Mm -hmm. Ed, before we, I want to ask some follow-ups, but maybe do you have any prognostications here, or or you or want to try to dodge that bullet? Or do you have questions for Jonathan? <laughs> um, no, I, mean, I think I think the Fed. Just going back to Pascal's original question here, um, I do think we'll see some Fed rate cuts. Um, I think that will happen. I think the uh, the industry has positioned itself for some distress, which may or may not happen in in, in magnitudes. We're not sure, so it'll be interesting to see how how it unfolds. And you know, I think the regional banks stay fairly weak, which obviously for you, Jonathan, is a great right. I mean, I just don't see the I don't see the impetus for a a mass increase in deposits at regional banks. Um, 
I hope I'm wrong because they obviously do a lot of lending for, for our clients, but I don't see that impetus. Yeah, so, I mean, look, Ed, you, you raise a really important point. Regional banks make up 40 to 45% of all real estate lending in our country. Think about that statistic. And mm -hmm. you have a couple trillion dollars of loans that are coming due. That's a, a big chunk is held by those by those banks. And while the Fed has been guiding banks to work with borrowers, um, there's only so much one can do. And you know, across the board, just because of the way rates have gone, you've had value degradation, you know, anywhere from 15 to 30 to 40 percent in a normal way asset, you know, forget the conversation around, you know, other troubled asset classes, namely office. Um, and so those regional banks and their absence um, obviously creates opportunities for, you know, firms like 3650. Um, but it also is going to create, you know, a the, there's a lot of, you know, everything is, you know, private credit, private credit, private credit. Yeah, it's big and it's getting bigger, um, but it's not going to fill the entire void that's created by the absence of the banks. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I have a couple follow-up questions. So, you know, you, you ran through, I think, all the different products that, that 3650 has to offer. And obviously, I think, well, maybe not obviously, you're one of the more active folks in the CMBS world last year, as you mentioned. Um, what, you know, for 3650 this year, 2024, and kind of like you said, a transitional year into 2025, you know, are you guys focused more on um, trying to put out special situations funds? And let's talk about that. If so, what does that look like? You mentioned also, um, you know, equity recaps. I think you also said even, um, you know, partnership level recap. So let's let's talk about that, what that means and with respect to capitulation. Because what we've noticed here on our end, you know, we're in a little bit different part of the market than you, right? So folks come to us and they say, hey guys, what's out there in the world? And we're constantly in communication with, you know, hundreds of groups like 3650 and also hundreds of clients. And so we have a pretty interesting purview into the market. And one thing we've talked about here internally a lot is that we've started to see at least on the client side, a more capitulative demeanor. Um, yeah, they're accepting. They're accepting. Yeah, less than more than they were in late 2022 and early and 2020. They're recognizing that this is just not going to just go away super quickly. Um, but then I think sometimes when they come to us, like we had a Ed and I had a great call with a with a client yesterday. Um, you know, fantastic firm, great track record bought an asset in a market that was real hot, uh, institutional asset, you know, maybe, you know, three to 400 units multi, um, and bought the asset, rents didn't appreciate in the way they expected. They're on a, a, a fixed rate loan, but from a, a non-bank, non-agency lender. And, you know, they have a looming payoff and or extension with difficult hurdles that they're impossible for them to get through those extensions. Um, without modification. So this is kind of a, a loaded, like multifaceted question because you have capitulation on both ends. Like, will the existing lender want to extend? Do they need payoffs because they have fires in other areas where they need capital? Like, give us a little bit of a sense of how 3650 is positioning itself. What are you guys looking for? And, and how do you expect to deploy in this capitulative environment? So look, at the end of the day, we we make one loan at a time. 
So we're going to look at an asset. We're going to look at, you know, value and we're going to size a loan. And if the, if the borrower or the owner is looking for a, you know, a five or a 10 year fixed rate loan, well, or if it's a construction loan, it, it's one asset at a time. We don't, um, we've always done very well by not, you know, what's the expression throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And so, you know, when retail was in a death spiral, not all retail was bad. We learned by during learning during the pandemic that you know grocery anchored retail was you know best in class. Um, not all office is bad. Uh, we you know office loans. We're you know right now in the middle of closing a construction loan for almost a purely spec office building, um, and and we have a history of doing that. And so um, we're not. We, we 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 get very granular on an asset by asset basis. So what are we looking to do? We are looking to continue to to deploy capital in our fixed rate program. Um, and I will tell you that a lot of our competitors are not necessarily side necessarily sidelined, but there's a lot of movement in our industry. Uh, firms are downsizing. When productions fell off a cliff last year, that you know it, it gave you know firms an opportunity to shed some staff. Um, so we're seeing a lot more volume in our fixed rate business, and I think that's driven in large part by what I said earlier. It's you know if you didn't have to transact, you didn't. Now that you're loaned, there's a, you have a, you know a looming a maturity or you have extension rights that you'll, you won't meet and you have a lender that's really not taking your phone call, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of, you know, folks that are finally saying, okay, rates have come down. I can, I can still, I can do a five-year execution at a relatively, you know, what the benefit of, you know, at least, you know, um, you know, David and Ed, I don't know how old Ed is, but I've known David for a long time, you know, We've been doing this for a long time, and it's shocking to me. It, it was shocking to me that when rates had a two-handle or even a three-handle, that borrowers chose floating rate. You know, floating. You know, floaters versus fixed. It's like if you can't make an asset work with a three-handle on your debt, then it's you're something's wrong. Right. Buying it at the right price, you're not, something's wrong. So in today's world the more seasoned investor owner operator is realizing that if you can get debt in four or five, six percent range, you should take it and lock it in and ride out what will likely be a volatile environment over the next handful of years. And so we're seeing that borrowers have a lot of folks in the in our industry made a lot of money over the past decade. And so you're you mentioned a minute ago, capitulation, you know, cash in refinancings, we're, we're seeing borrowers that are willing to do that because they, you know, they have an asset that they like that they want to hold on to. They don't want to deal with the noise of, you know, giving an asset back or, um, or, you know, something, um, you know, more controversial fighting a, a lender that we're not seeing a lot of that right now. We're seeing borrowers that recognize reality and they're dealing with it which is is refreshing and that i think that's just part of the evolution of of real estate you know ownership and finance candidly um but so you know for example uh the end of last year we closed uh two construction loans one was a 90 million dollar uh construction loan on a ground up um uh, development of an industrial building 
uh, here in California, um, you know, 40%, you know, pre-leased, but that transaction would never have gotten done by a debt fund. It would a hundred percent have been done by a, a local bank, but no, no bank to be found. You know, it's industrial infill location. Um, and then similarly, we closed a $47 million loan on ground up construction uh, of a 96% um, grocery pre-leased uh, grocery anchored retail center here in Southern California. Um, again, the fact that you know we got the opportunity to do that is a real um, you know commentary on where the banks have gone. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The shadow banking system. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, let me ask a, a question on on office. Like, define good office these days. We hear that it's you know highly amenitized. Uh, suburban office is back sometimes because people want to live near and come back and forth to the office and not have a big drive downtown. What are you seeing on, on what, what's the, 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 we hear also, maybe we'll correct this, sorry, but also we've seen that, you know, uh, tenants are flocking to not surprisingly office buildings built within the last five years, the, you know, the best stuff. So what are, what's your look on that? And that could also go into uh, certain cities or regions for office. Yeah, so look, as I said a minute ago, not all office is bad. Um, right. So we start with that premise. Um, I think it was a, a tragedy beyond tragedies that we are um, governed by folks at the federal level that only a couple, three months ago, told the federal agencies to get their um, their workers back to the office. I just think it's- DC, yeah. yeah. It's just, not, it's outrageous to me. Um, I think that contributed to the problem. Um, in our industry, you know, work from home is not a, um, it, it's not really prevalent because with real estate, you have to be there, you have to show up, you have to touch it, you have to feel it, you have to be, other industries that may work very well, it just doesn't work that well for um, for our industry. So, you know, we've all been back in the office. And so what we're observing is that class A is still um, where people want to be, new 100%. And what new means is, you know, you've got higher ceilings, you've got, you know, operable windows, you've got open air, you've, you're highly amenitized, you're well-located, and you've just got that cool new factor. And you're, and, and it's really quite interesting in our um, development arm, we delivered a, a new office in, we're headquartered in Coconut Grove, um, which is a suburb of, of Miami. And we redeveloped a project called Coco Walk which was a early 80s, I believe, built uh, multi-story um, open air retail center that really just fell in, you know, disrepair. It was um, out of date. And a handful of years ago, we um, redeveloped it. We scraped half of the retail, reconfigured the remaining retail to be more modern day, modern, modern you know, um, um, capable of more modern retail uses. And then we built an office tower on the other half, um, it, it leased up immediately. And if we could empty the building today, we could double our NOI. 
um, and, and, and it wouldn't take very long. You can't do that, but if we could, uh, that's that's what would result. And so, well located. It's you know, it's it's walkable, it's livable, and that is what is attracting. I think you know, um, we it's the large floor plates in you know central business districts. Those are the right. ones that are challenged and they're going to hurt. Yeah. And ownership has to make really hard decisions because they can lease it. Um, but once they start lowering their lease rates and then what, how much tenant improvements do they have? It's the economics are really very challenging. So free rent, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. And so we're avoiding those. We're leaning into the, into the newer, you know, better located uh, buildings. And, you know, and we, and, and, Candidly, we're one of the very few that is that are doing that, and uh, because there is not a pension system in this country that doesn't have a lot of office uh, on, you know, in their portfolios that they're that they're having issues with, and right. and so um, that will remain an opportunity set for us. It will be a challenge for others, and but it's also, you know, look, and I I want to say this the right way because I, I don't want it to sound um, horrible but when somebody loses somebody else is winning right and so when somebody hands the keys back on a you know big office tower and that trades down um mm -hmm. somebody else is going to buy that and they're going to convert it or they're just they're, or they're going to you know lease it up at a much different basis um and and so we're going to see that. I think 2024, we're going to see a lot more of that than we have um, before. Again, because, you know, reality is, is setting in. And um, and so, um, anyways, I, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm answering your yeah, question. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Um, let, let's talk just for a second. I have just a question on servicing. You're a major servicer. You're a BP spire at 3650. Uh We've heard a little bit that servicers are, when loans have matured, are not jumping, you know, and the sponsor is not able to, you know, pay the loan off at maturity. They're allowing some extensions for good sponsors that have cash flowing assets and not rushing to foreclose and create, you know, and create a lot of distress. Where do you see um, sir, how do you see servicers acting this year, um, both proactive and reactive? That's a great question. Um, look, we built our firm around and, and we built our stable cash flow lending strategy around the idea that we would finance our ownership of our loans issuing CMBS liabilities. We would issue bonds. Unlike a traditional conduit lender, that will originate a loan, sell it into a REMIC, and then the REMIC would engage a master servicer and then sell a B piece to a special servicer. Mm -hmm. We turn the pooling and servicing agreement kind of on its head. And what I mean by that is under a normal construct, the master servicer does all the cashiering and then makes all the decisions that are required to be made under the loan documents if there's a consent required. Um, the master servicer does that. It is not until and unless the loan goes into default that it goes to the special servicer. And then the special servicer gets to, you know, charge a lot of fees. They, you know, their their incentives are slightly different. Right. Um, 
because of the ability to charge fees and the like, we said, look, our job is, if you think about what's the best outcome as a lender, it's to make a loan, get it repaid with interest. That's as good as it will get. And so mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you stack the deck in your favor to make it, you know, to, to, to achieve that best outcome? You work with your borrowers. And when your borrowers have issues, you attend to those issues you know, and you, you know, when a borrower comes to you and has a, a lease, you know, modification or extension or a reciprocal easement agreement or anything, they're usually coming to you with a value creation proposition. Why wouldn't you pick up the phone immediately and and have a, you know, a, a meaningful conversation right. with your borrower? It's a problem of incentives, right? So you've realigned the incentives. That, that's exactly right. So under our pooling and servicing agreement, which has been accepted by, you know, by everyone at this point, the master servicer does all the cashiering. We do everything else. Mm -hmm. We labeled the special servicer, but it doesn't, your loan doesn't go into, have to go into default. We make, we get the phone call about the lease, you know, modification. We make decisions of any decision that's made about the underlying real estate. And the borrower is it's made by 3650. So yep. to answer your question, um, you know, we have the flexibility to work with borrowers and we're going to do what's right for the underlying loan, which means it's right for the bondholders, which means it's right for, you know, for, for us. And it's um, if that means an extension is necessary if the economics, you know, work, uh, we're absolutely going to lean in and and help accomplish that. There's no reason not to. Uh, I have, uh, we should, you know, get going on the wrap up here, but I just have one more question or two for you. And I don't know, if, Ed, if you want to ask another question. My, mine is this, what, what excites you the most about the next six to 12 months? And what is the most worrisome thing that you can kind of see in the next six to 12 months? not for the real estate macro market, but more for your opportunity set in particular, like, you know, you have your four or five buckets of capital. Like what are you most excited about with respect to those and where are your ears perked up? Uh, I would tell you, I'm excited about just the fact that I think we're going to see a lot more opportunity uh, come our way this year that people are going to transact. And yep. I'm excited about the fact that we're very well capitalized. We have a lot of dry powder to, uh, you know, to, um, <clears throat> For those opportunities and you know we're at a stage um in our in our careers where you know relationships do matter and um i'm excited that we are receiving those phone calls from you know guys like you and say hey you know we got this situation how would you look at it and you know what's the best approach i'm excited about all that what worries me is what I talked about a minute ago are the macro, you know, geopolitical. And we have an election year. Not, I mean, we could spend, you know, yeah, that could be its own show. <laughs> it's an so election I, year? Yeah. yeah. No, so I, I do worry um, uh, about, um, you know, the, the, the election in November. Um, I do worry that um, you know, I just learned, and I, I won't mention the city because I don't want to be barred from there, but it's in the city in the Northwest just passed a, you know, a law where if you're, you're, you're a residential tenant, you can't charge more than a $10 late fee, um, you know, for your, your, your multifamily tenant, you know, on their rent. You can't evict during the winter. <laughs> you can't evict a student. Um, and so it's, you know, these are all 
great things to protect renters, but it it completely what what scares me is the complete loss of um, the the what it means to own and operate real estate. It's not a risk free enterprise, but all the risk and all the burden is being shoved onto real estate owners and operators. So what worries me are you know you've got states like Texas and Florida that don't have all that. So that's why we're seeing the you know the the population movements there. That's why we're seeing all the economic activity there. The the other side of that is we're seeing great cities in our country just get drained of you know intellectual capital uh, of capital and you know, will they come back? Yeah, they will probably, you know, when the world turns, we're starting to see some movement, you know, in, in areas. But I just worry that we we live in an over-regulated environment um, that is going to make real estate development, ownership, operation even more difficult. Great. Dad, anything else, buddy? From you? That's it from me. Cool. Thank you, Jonathan, so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed this anytime. Anytime. Thank you, guys. Thanks. All right, gentlemen. All right. All right. Thanks. We'll see you. Bye-bye.